Hi, welcome to Stammer Stories. My name is William Levin and I'm your host and founder of this podcast. In, in this podcast, we talk about stammering from all perspectives. I'll be talking to people who stammer, people who work in the stammering field, and people who have a general interest in the topic. So today's guest, I've been meaning to be on for a very long time, but because of different commitments, we haven't been able to get to sit down with each other and record virtually. But here we are. I'm finally glad to introduce Jamie Hawkey onto the podcast. So Jamie, welcome. Thanks, Will. It's it's great to be with you. Thank you. So for our viewers, can you just hit in, 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 introduce yourself and tell them what you do for a living? Sure. So I'm... Um... I'm a canon of Westminster Abbey in London. I'm canon theologian, which means I'm responsible for the kind of intellectual life of Westminster Abbey, um, our education department and our institute, which is uh, the body which uh, interacts with uh, Parliament, Whitehall, the civil service, the army in London, royal households, thinking about what public service looks like today. Um, and I'm an academic by background. Um, I've got a visiting professorship at King's College London uh, and still a post uh, in Cambridge. So um, my my life is is a mixture, really, of the ordinary life of a priest alongside a bit of a life of an ordinary academic, too. Well, that is absolutely fascinating. And we'll talk about that more in more detail throughout the episode. But you've got a stammer. And I'd love to talk to you about your stammer. When did you first realise that you had one? And how was your stammer like, at, at a younger age? So I can't actually remember a time when I didn't stammer. For me, um, speech has always been associated with, uh, uh, let, let me say that in a different way, not being able to speak has always been part of being able to speak, if I can put it that way. Um, so I can remember times in my life where it's got very much worse and very much better. Um, certainly it got very much worse as I sort of got towards uh, 10, 11 and then into my early teens. Um, but I can remember having uh, sort of physical sensations of struggling with my speech um, and getting stuck on words at a very early age. Well, and, and, and that's sort of the same as me, where I've not really known life without stomach. Like my first, so my stammer, so I was very delayed in my first few words, and my parents knew it, so I wasn't up, so they taught me to speech therapy, and they taught me like a type of sign language called makaton, mm. and which is basically symbols to help point out. And they thought that I wouldn't speak until I was seven or eight years old, like properly, but then... It got better, and I had speech therapy for the first 10 years every single week of my life. Did you have any speech therapy growing up? Yeah, I've had um, two major uh, bouts of speech therapy. One when I was an early teenager, which went badly wrong, <laughs> uh, partially because I think the therapist I had wasn't very good. And um, she basically got me to count by rote, um, and she sort of knew what my danger points were in terms of consonants and vowels and I got um ex I remember extremely frustrated getting stuck on one particular word and ended up swearing at her <laughs> and she wouldn't see me again um, and then I didn't have any speech therapy then until I was actually about 28 29 wow um 
and that was prompted by going to see the king's speech that film with um uh, about king george the sixth and i i cried my eyes out throughout that entire film um and then went to see somebody after that who was a speech therapist but also a psychoanalyst um to dig into some of the background to my stammer Wow, that's fascinating. And um, and it's really weird why like so many people like had said to me, like, have you watched King's Speech? It's like, you know, I've seen clips of it, but like, have you seen a full movie? It was like, yeah, when when it wasn't really until three years ago to like actually watch the movie. So I thought, let's just watch it. And which surprises everyone. Uh, because it's one of the most common like case studies when people think someone of us down. And literally, I was like speechless after watching it. And I was like, it just shows how you just don't know what's going on behind a person with the stammers. Like, no matter how senior you are, and like how much of a public figure you are as well. It's like, you could be the king and stammer and still have speech therapy, or you could have a, or you could be a teacher with a stammer and still have speech therapy. And I think it's just so important to show that no matter who you are, it can make a difference. And That's right. I, I think a lot, what a lot of people who don't have a speech impediment don't realise is that um, even when you're not stammering, so I mean, I, I, I don't stammer very much these days, um, but you carry it around. It's, it, yeah. it's with you in your gut the whole time, isn't it? And at the front of your mind the whole time. Um, it, it, it's, it's a strange thing. You're never quite free from it. Plus, it never really goes like I, I've had plenty. So I've had a few people from other because like the podcast has now grown, which is amazing in other countries. But what I find fascinating is that it, it's doing really well in like more underdeprived countries, which I absolutely love that they're using it as like a resource. And I've had a few people from like India, Nepal, Nigeria reach out to me and go, "Can you cure my stammer?" And I'm like. It cure is such a big word, but also I'm like, rather than finding a cure for your stammer, embrace it and own it because it makes you the person who you are because, because you may grow older, your stammer may disappear. However, you will still have that odd moment where you may still stammer, but I like, just find a technique that works for you and you'll be surprised by how much of a difference your thought process is around your stammer. And, when you went to speech therapy at, for your second burst, do you still use some of those techniques now in your everyday life? Yes, I do. I mean, I use my my own particular thing is that if I if I know if I can see a consonant or vowel combination coming out that I know is going to be difficult, and if I can feel, you know, the sort of physical sensation that something's about to happen, I what I try to do is empty my lungs of air completely. And then just kickstart a sentence, you know, with yeah. a sort of uh, percussive thing with the diaphragm, and then it gets going again. But I think, um, you know, so many of us know the vowel consonant combinations that are dangerous. Um, I mean, it's it's funny. I I am um, really up until very very recently, even if I was uh, making a comment at a conference or something, I would have to draft it out first. Um, so that I had a text in front of me, even if it was a quick 30 second intervention. Um, and I've tried over the years to wean myself away from that. Yeah. Um, and I, I now don't have to do that um, unless I'm very tired. And, and then it's the safest way. 
And do you feel more comfortable um, when you've written your when you've written something yourself rather than if someone else has written it for you? Because I, I was speaking to Haley Hassel, who's a five live presenter, and she does BBC News Round, and she said it's so much easier when, when she writes her show. She finds it so much easier, but she finds the bit that she finds hard with her stomach, like in such a in like being a newsreader, than reading up the headlines because she's not written it herself. So like it's not worded in a way that's friendly for like how she would find it for stomach friendly. And she's like, with the headlines, you can't really change certain words like you can if you were like so if you knew that a guest was coming on and you may stammer on that subject. And I find that fascinating how like people I don't think people realize that we have this pre-conversation in our head like we always have a pre-think on everything we do yeah and and, and I was trying to explain it on and they're like and they were like so you've pre-thought this sentence that we're having now was like basically yes and they're like but why that I'm like I because it's a thought process that I have so I'm sort of validating every word going through my head and what word and I sort of look like I think oh with you I could be talking about x y and z and I know my stammer is likely to happen on x words and it's like well that must be quite tiring and I'm like, well I guess when you put it like that it is but yeah it no so it is isn't it, it? yeah it, it, it's um it's mentally very tiring because you yeah. are, as you say, you're repl- you're you're rehearsing lines in your head the whole time. Yeah. Um, and you know, throw into that mix, um, um, certainly one of my one of the sort of funny, uh, almost kind of hangovers of when I had a very bad stammer, uh, is you know a constant fear that I'm not making myself clear, yeah? yeah? You know, a constant fear that somehow I'm going to be misunderstood or I'm not going to be able to say what I need to say. Um, and all the rehearsing in your mind that you can do somehow doesn't unlock that, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think going on, on from it as well, I think the more you sort of practice it within your head, I think, uh, and if something happens, like if someone says, oh, can you add this into your speech or if you can add that to your presentation, that would just throw me off. So like once I was doing a team presentation and I was reading out whose birthdays it was that month. And because I had sort of, I knew who was happening beforehand. And then I had a last minute message, literally a few minutes before I was presenting saying, oh, it's this person's birthday too. And I knew from a moment that I saw that name, that I would stammer on that name. Yeah. So I spent the rest of the presentation just sort of saying the name on, on mute as well. I mean, it would just sound like a whole new foreign language, like this word that I was saying, because I had said it too much. I mean, I was fine doing because I was like, the whole thing, no, I stand. So I, why am I getting like, I just, the worst thing when someone basically just gives you that curveball and you're like, oh, this is, I'm not, and especially if that curveball, you know, you're going to stammer saying that word. And I'd now like to move on to like the other aspect of stammering, which is the struggling side of having a stomach. So we've all had our moments where we struggled with our stomach, if it's in work or like growing up, we've all had our moments. Can you tell me a time when you struggled with your stomach, but also how you overcame that? Yeah, when I was... Uh... 
a teenager, an early teenager, I moved from a very small school to a very big school. And I, I already had a stammer before I moved school, but I found the whole experience of moving to a much larger school uh, and a very different kind of school, uh, very disorienting, you know? Um, and I found, of course, my stammer got a, a lot worse. Um, and of course, all the usual playground bullying and so on was, was in full flow. Um, and, uh, and I, in those days, actually, my speech was really quite bad. Um, and I'd get, I'd get stuck on long vowels and be unable to stop myself. So, uh, uh, that, that was a very, very strange experience, you know, when, when you can't quite get out of the stammering rut. But what I discovered, um, around that time was a huge love of singing. Um, and I had a friend of my mum became my singing teacher uh, who was an opera singer and wow. learning how to sing properly and therefore how to breathe properly was for me an enormous um, step forward it didn't solve the stammer at that point at all really um, but I somehow music became so important to me because it was a different way of communicating with people, not just um, verbal communication, but emotional communication as well. Um, yeah, so I, I, I feel that the discovery of a, of a, a passionate love of singing um, and a huge passion for all sorts of music and in a sense of nonverbal communication, um, particularly through the language and medium of beauty became, became very, very important to me. Wow. Uh, and that's sort of really fast, like you're one of the only people who said this, which I can relate to is when I went from, so my school, my secondary school has had 80 students, so it was a school for people with learning difficulties. And then my college was a local college which had 5,000 students. And I, because I was at, at a school with people with like learning difficulties, there were a few other people who like stammered and like people knew what to do basically. And I was going to this fresh college where I didn't know if any people were there would stammer, if the teachers knew what to do if someone was going to stammer. And like the anxiety of like going through, like going through the biggest place and not knowing if anyone else knew. And I thought also just the thought process and my stammer got quite bad so we went back to our gp i mean like is there speech therapy for some of my age around like 15 16 to sort of get back into that speech therapy and that's when they referred me to the michael palin center and that center completely changed my life but it's really fascinating to show that that transition period of like changing schools and like changing settings affected your stammer as well yeah. and also I've found a trend throughout recording with different guests a time I people have struggled the most has 90% of the time been in school that's when everyone sort of struggled the most with their stammer have you had any moments more recently like during your work where you've struggled with your stammer but you sort of felt like you can't really express that feeling at the same time well one of the funny things is um that 
one of the ironies is that I now find myself in a job where there's an enormous amount of public speaking, you know, um, and 99% of the time, that's absolutely fine. I have if it's a big thing, I will always script it because I don't want any surprises. But you know, just just occasionally, there are moments where in fact, one quite recently, where you know, you're in the middle of a sentence, and you think, Oh, my goodness, it's going to happen. It's coming, you feel it, you know, yeah. And that that's when I, I sort of try to marshal the trick of emptying the lungs and just kickstarting it out again. But I do remember uh, giving an address at a friend's wedding, and quoting a poem. And I knew it was dangerous, but I thought I'd do it anyway. It was a word I simply, I knew I could not say. And in context now, I still can't say that line, probably because I've now thought about it too much. Yeah. It's a mixture of long vowels and soft consonants followed by long vowels. And for me, that's a complete and utter disaster. Um, and, and, you know, the, the thing I realized then, though, because I did, I sort of this enormous great stammer in the middle of an address. But, you know, people are largely kind aren't they actually yeah. people are largely kind and you know the only person really who's there thinking about it is you <laughs> which is which which is an irony because of course the thing that you're worried about constantly is what people think how it's going to impact and so on and so forth i mean the only other thing which i think is is um is is perhaps um important to say is that um when i saw the king's speech uh and decided after that um, to go and have some therapy. I was there with my then girlfriend, now my wife. Um, and I said to her, you know, I I've got to do something about this. I've got to do something about this. Because um, it was accompanied that period by waking up very early each morning, being, being terrified that I'd be in some kind of high level meeting and I wouldn't be able to say what I needed to say, which of course has always been and which remains, yeah. you know, my big fear going through life that, and you know, that's, that's one of the features of, of um, the history of my speech impediment. But, but, you know, realizing that actually, you can face these things down. And that, and that, you know, the fear doesn't go away all the time, but you can start to master it. Yeah. And, and you can start to just realize that it's part of your your makeup in a sense plus i think i think people realize that one of the key messages that i've wanted to do for the podcast is to show that having a stammer is okay and there's nothing wrong with it you've done nothing wrong it's just you being you there's nothing to hide it does own and you feel so much better but also when i was doing my tedx one of the things i was saying how i there's nothing was like people pity rather than like they, they they don't get angry they pity people for the stomach and it's like people go oh oh bless oh don't worry it's fine and it's like but why pity us because of the way we speak and it's like do we know what fluency really is and it, and, and I think it's a key aspect to show that actually you think people care like you expect for worse but actually people don't really care and, and and it's like you expect such big situations you think when you stammer you expect like this huge ceiling like the presentation even though those milliseconds to you feel like minutes to everyone else they don't know especially if they don't know they don't know if you're stammering or you're just taking a break and I feel like we stammer way more in our heads than we do actually stammer and I think there's been times where I've had a conversation where I've where I know I've stammered quite a lot. And and I said, Oh, I, I was stammering quite badly in that. They said, 
you were not at all. It's like, that's so weird because in my head, I think I'm, and I still see words when I know I'm using techniques. I still see those as stammer as when I stammered because it's all like masking that word. But I think it's such a key message to show that, that not fear, but that thing that will, will never go away. But also that there's nothing to be worried about. And if you don't feel comfortable doing it, just I, I say the more you talk about it to your team or like to your friends or like to your colleagues, the more that feeling will sort of hide a bit. And I'd love to now talk to you about your job because I'm very fascinated about what you do. Can you just explain what you do about also how stammer also affects it in an everyday scenario? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's um. So my job is firstly as a priest. So um, a, a lot of taking services, a lot of uh, giving sermons, uh, lots and lots of meetings, uh, lots of pastoral encounters with people. Um, lot and from this particular job, lots of relationship building with people who are not principally church people. So lots of people. Um, you know, in public life one way or another, or more more um, precisely in public service, more likely, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, 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 um, it hangs around you, doesn't it? It, yeah. um, it? It hangs around you. And and it's hard to explain to people who don't have a speech impediment that it's just with you all the time. Yeah. It, it doesn't, you know, there isn't a moment where you're not somehow aware of it. Um, and for me, especially if I'm very tired or if I'm very upset, that's the moment when it's going to start coming out, probably. And then obviously, we will have our some consonant and vowel combinations, um, which are particularly problematic. So um, for a long time, I would never give an address without a full text. Okay. I now, if it's a big service, I always have a full text. But say it's a service in the morning, a quieter service or something, then I now do just speak off the cuff. And, you know, nine and a half times out of 10, uh, that's completely fine. One of the areas where I do still have problems um, is uh, in speaking a foreign language. So if I'm trying to speak in Italian or French, um, I find that I stammer much more. Um, simply because I'm not I'm not thinking in those languages I'm thinking in English yeah and and you know it's translating as I speak and, and therefore the old thing about being sure that you are avoiding your own traps is yeah. is not so straightforward for me and that I do get very frustrated by that actually wow and how have you found your stammer like working with quite senior figures like Archbishop Canterbury but also the Royal family and other senior how have you found your stammer does does it affect does your stammer get affected by who you're around or do you feel like it's sort of mellow not sort of the same around ev like with everyone but just in different ways it's to be honest it's um i don't find that it's particularly bad when i'm with well-known people for example um, and I, I, I don't really get very nervous in those situations anymore. Um, the, 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 the danger of me falling into a stammering pattern is pretty much the same no matter who I'm with. Yeah. Um, but as I say, if I'm very tired, um, that's, that's, um, much more, that, that's a period where it's much more likely to come out. Yeah. And 
lots, so I asked lots of people this who were, and I, so I, within my first, so I put my stuff on, on like my CV when I did my job application, but also my first sentence to my line manager were, was, I had barely met her. It was literally the first few sort of welcome to the team. I said, does it? And you know, I do stammer. There's nothing wrong with me. It's I just stammer. And literally she was like, yeah, okay, that's fine. I was like, okay. Uh, and it just, but it meant from that moment, I had nothing to like, I, because I had said it, and literally the team are so supportive. Did you mention your stammer when you applied for your job? Um, not this time, I didn't, no. But um, I have to say, in interviewing for a previous job, I know that an employer um, phoned around just to check that I didn't stammer too much in the really? pulpits, yeah, when I'm giving sermons and so on. And I understand exactly yeah. why that, that person did that. This was high profile and all of that, uh, with radio, radio broadcasts and all that sort of thing. Um, strangely enough, on those occasions, I can... I can absolutely be clear I'm going to master it then. Yeah. That's not a problem. And um, for me, partially, if I'm giving a some kind of lecture or something, it, 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 99% of the time, it's absolutely fine. Partially because I guess you also rely on other ways of communicating, rhetoric, gesture, you know, you think about the structure of paragraphs, you think about pauses and so on. Um, occasionally in the question and answer slots, it can get a bit dodgy. Yeah. But um if I feel myself going into a ditch, I just, I kind of pull back and start again. And that's fine. Nine times out of 10. Yeah. Wow. And no, it, it does sort of shows like my stomach, like if I know I'm going to be, I get way more nervous in front of people who I know then. So I get, so I do, well, I still definitely get nervous. And like when I do press interview, but it's really weird how I think I was way more nervous for doing my the actual speech bit of my TEDx in front of my team at work than I was doing the actual speech to a TEDx audience, which is a million, 35 million times bigger than what it actually is. But it's just like, I think I'm more conscious about people who I'm, because they know me. And I think, and it was really weird how once I did it to a team, I was then going straight to the venue. Literally, my nerves went for the actual speech. And it wasn't until I got to the venue when I was like, okay, I'm not nervous for the speech. I'm comfortable with the speech aspect. I'm more nervous for the actual event, like the over event. And when I did it, I my brain was just playing these mind games going, don't stammer. You you want to stammer to show people that you do actually stammer. And like it, it was sort of like cross message. There was just like, oh, change that word in your speech, you stammer on that word. But the other person in my head was going, no, don't do that. You want your stammer to talk about because you're talking about your stammer. And it, it's, and after that, like I've done a few media interviews like with the BBC and my nerves have just gone, like, it's really weird how since my TEDx, it sort of cured my nerves for the next few big events. And that's it was, brilliant. It's a uh, kind of shock factor. <laughs> yeah, literally is. And and I'll never forget beforehand. I do not remember a thing beforehand. And it was when and then after I went for a week where my stammer wasn't that bad at all. And it was sort of I mean it then we sort of then all the emotions sort of kicked in. It was my sound was awful, but I think it was like all the emotions. And I think I was talking to like a YouTuber and I'm not sure if like you have this is that. So he was talking about like he traveled quite a lot and like the 
traveling and like really fatigue and tiredness of like going to lift different, different meetings really caused him to stammer but he actually never told his audience at all that he stammered and he and I saw him do a post he was doing a, a launch for Maserati a big launch and he and he said I he basically did a big post and this is the first time I've done anything big and I messaged him was like is this for further would you be interested in, in coming onto the podcast and he was like yeah because I've actually never spoken about it before and it was fascinating hearing him like he said the viewers must think that I use really elaborate words and really big words when I described like a car but actually that's sort of my coping mechanism and when I turn on that record button my stammer just goes away and I just found that fascinating and yeah. uh, uh, so as you said you talk to lots of different people in your role and there's lots of people who stammer who also want to go into a public speaking role like they want to talk going to come in where there's lots of people where there's lots of talking but they're nervous or sort of bit held back because they are afraid of how people will react to their so what advice would you have for those people My advice would be that you can only get through a fear if you start to face it. And in my experience, it's been important to, even when you think you're going to stammer, to carry on somehow and to to have a certain degree of willfulness about it combined with techniques. You know, you can... You can learn techniques, can't you, to help you get through difficult patches. Yeah. I remember the first time I ever realized that Moses in the Old Testament had a speech impediment. Really? And I, I vividly remember that realization that actually, you know, he says, he basically says um, in, in one of the stories in the, in the Old Testament, you know, Lord, don't send me. I, I, I can't speak properly you know and of course this is Moses right um and I vividly remember thinking gosh um it's hidden all over the place it's hidden all over the place that um that there are plenty of people who've had much more demanding uh jobs and vocations than me um who have got problems with their speech the other thing I would say is that is that you know the relationship between speech and mental health is now much more understood yeah um and and i would if if somebody is wanting to go into a line of work which involves a lot of public speaking and they've got a stammer i would very strongly encourage them um not just to have some speech therapy but to have some therapy therapy because i think the pairing of those two things certainly in my own experience was was really really helpful i guess the final thing in terms of what i'd say to those people is that is that in general, people are much kinder than you think they're going yeah. to be. And, you know, even if there's, if you develop a reputation or whatever, um, you know, a, a lot of that is out of kindness rather than anything else. I swear, for, for a long time, actually, I, I, I don't talk about my stammer very much. Um, uh, there are those, those, those who, to whom I have spoken about it in some detail, um, and they know who they are. They're very important people to me. But I, I, I don't talk about it with colleagues, for example. 
um, at least hardly ever. Wow. And, I'm, and I found out that I didn't realise, and I think this is going to lead on to my next question, which is around the stigma around the topic. And I was recording with Michael Rosen for Radio 4 for his podcast called Word of Mouth. And I didn't realise that in one of Shakespeare's plays, he had a character who stammered. And the way that it was written still shows how the stigma has not changed from Shakespeare's time till now. And literally, when he read it out, my brain was just a bit, was like, surely it's changed. Like, how it's portrayed is like, hasn't changed one bit from Shakespeare's time to like, now. And it's like, how, how have we gone so long where it's still, where the stigma's still sort of the same, but also how it's one of the only topics well, one of these sort of only sort of disabilities slash speech impediments that people can still happily laugh about, not knowing the side effects of the actual person. And I think these statistics are scarily big, but also scary, scarily realistic. Like 27% of Brits think it's okay to make fun of someone with a stammer, which is shocking, but also quite believable at the same time. And I think but also like the mental health aspect, like you said, is a very big aspect. And I think when you bully someone on their voice, it's not really that you can't really fix that. Like you, you're sort of making that person want to step back even more because they, they are afraid to use their voice. And actually no person should ever be afraid of using their voice and no one should ever hold their back what they want to say. Because that's just not fair. And it's not a human thing to do is to make fun of someone's voice and they have a stigma around the topic is that and I think when people think of someone with a stammer they think of someone with a very very severe stammer like the king or, or like Mishy from Educating Yorkshire and if they don't really expect like mine and yours stammers then they think of if you say I've got a stammer they more expect the latter rather than maybe a more everyday stammer what are your thoughts around like the current stigma around the topic? So I think you're right. I, I think there still is a stigma around speech impediments. Um, and I think it's a, just a lack of appreciation yeah. that actually your voice is something deeply personal. And um, well, b b because it is literally <laughs> the prime way in which we communicate as human adults, um, you know, your, your, your speech is something which is, which is so intimately linked to your, to your emotions, to your characteristics, um, to the way you perceive self-worth. Um, I think greater awareness of that whole package um, would be really, really helpful. Um, and there's a, there's a fine line, isn't there, in all comedy between, be, between sort of gentle ribbing um, mm -hmm. And mocking, and, yeah. and I think you know, there's there's no doubt that that one of the um, one of the features I think for many of us with speech impediments is is a kind of uh, fear of being of being mocked. Really, yeah. you know that that's a word that I think uh, isn't used enough. I don't mind a bit of fun, absolutely. When I was at school, 
they used to call me MC Stammer instead of MC Hammer. And I didn't actually didn't mind that at all because it was affectionate, you know, largely, yeah. not always, <laughs> largely. Um, but it, but it's um it's when it tips over into mockery that it, I think it can become very corrosive, very undermining because your your voice is is kind of part of a significant part of who you are and of your self-expression. Yeah, completely. And, and, and I was actually talking about this too with another guest, and you we were saying how that it's different when you sort of talk about like stammering, like if it's the overall like, meme, if I there's there, there's been like an, an interview on someone stammering, but it's different when you're doing it towards a specific person or like so if it's like you're you're everyone's laughing about a situation and like you're laughing with the person who stammers that's different and like there are some comedians who who do comedy about their stammer and like it's great that they're bringing the light height side of it but also like there's this meme that just gets stuck in my head there was like there's this helicopter and then there's the next clip I, I just knew it before I had even watched it, it was a girl stammering really really badly and I and I just knew was like no this is not the type of was like this is just cruel because you're mocking the way that someone's speaking and but it's just like how it's portrayed is key and I think how people see it and I think I think that side is what scares people and I think when people go to the shop they sort of are they are afraid to go to like the barista and like prep or to sort of ask for their order because they are afraid of like people rolling their eyes or going hurry up or which never happens very very rarely it happens but very rarely and I think that's just the overpowering thought so how can we change that to show actually don't worry about what those people think just take as much time as you need and one, uh, one of my favorite one of my new things is as a society we hate gaps in a sentence like we always have to fill that gap in a sentence and why why do why do people feel the need to fill that gap to people who stammer and it's like most of the times it's coming from like good intentions like trying to help us but actually that's sort of the worst thing to do is like finish someone's sentences or like say that word and it's like would you tell an elderly person to hurry up crossing the road no, so why would you tell someone with a stammer to hurry up saying the sentence? Yeah, no, that's that's a very, very irritating and sort of slightly undermining thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So throughout the last few years, we've gone through a situation that is a very, very rare situation, but also it it's affected the whole world massively in every way. When we went into the pandemic, when we went into lockdown, the last thing on my mind was my stammer. And I knew, and I, I thought, oh, my stammer would be fine because I was in a very sociable point. Like my job was going to different events, like raising awareness and apprenticeships. When working from home, I realised that my stammer was getting worse and I like knew words. Calls are my nightmare. Like I hate like picking up the phone, like saying hello is one of my nightmare. But then I realised that actually, let's use this time to like work on my stammer, but also let's raise awareness. How did you find the, did the pandemic affect your stammer? My stammer definitely got worse during the pandemic. Um, and actually I, I found, and still find to a certain extent, Zoom and Teams really bad. Um, and I found um, 
I found Zoom calls, particularly sort of work-related Zoom calls, really stressful. I mean, sort of stupidly stressful, you know? Um, and then I read an article on the BBC one day that, that, um, that revealed a study that had already been done, which showed that people with speech impediments or who had, had historically had speech impediments you know, found online interaction like this just much harder because if the screen freezes and your face gets stuck, you know, you're not used to watching yourself as this happens. It, 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 so I, I, I did find that the pandemic was, was sort of bad for that, actually, in many ways. It's got a little bit better for me in terms of doing the online stuff now. But I think as a society, we're only just beginning to scratch the surface of what the last few years has done to us in all sorts of different ways. Uh, and and for a pandemic, did you have to deliver any, any, any big like speeches or any over over Zoom or Teams? Yeah, I gave quite a few lectures over um, Zoom. Uh, uh, mostly they were scripted. One of the things I find hardest on Zoom actually is chairing something. Yeah. Um, oh, hands down. That's really difficult. I think um, uh, uh, that that has a sort of disproportionate level of stress for me um and again i think it's in large part related to my speech yeah and how or, did or at you... least how i imagine my speech how i yeah. hear my how i think of my speech you know definitely and how how did you find like face masks because it, well i found quite face masks quite a odd sort of situation because i like being, so, I had a few times where people would take me to the wrong place in the supermarket, or and it was just a very odd. But I feel like the people with speech impediment were sort of the hidden community behind face masks. But actually, at the same time, I, I didn't feel comfortable in one sense to not be wearing a mask because I'm like I don't stand that enough, or I don't need. Or I'm not going for everyday situation where I need to wear a mask. And so I am just going to do it when I need to. And if I need help, I'll, I'll, I'll just have to try and sort out myself or ask for help. Did you find that? Yeah, I, I mean, I also don't, I mean, I don't feel I stammer anywhere near enough to, to be exempt yeah. or anything like that. Absolutely not. I thought mask wearing, I think mask wearing was very, very important. And yeah you know, prioritizing other people's wellness and well-being, health. Um, but I, it's interesting, I did find that difficult, not from a speech point of view so much, but in terms of, um, I, I realize how, how um, subconsciously when I speak, I, I'm quite deliberate about the movement of my lips. Yeah. And I think that's partially to compensate in a subconscious way um, for the fact that I'm not sure, I'm never absolutely sure that I'm being understood properly. I know that sounds really weird, but actually, you know, with with a mask on, because you can't see people's mouths. Yeah. Um, I I I sort of I can remember um, worrying that you know because if you were in a shop and the shop was noisy, um, you know, if someone couldn't hear what you were saying or if you stammered you didn't have the added bonus of yeah. just hoping they, they'd exactly. be able to they, they'd be able to watch your lips and guess. <laughs> yeah, and and I completely agree with that because I think my stammer can be quite a physical stammer and there's like a mask sort of hides, well, it masks it. And I think yeah. it sort of makes the situation harder, but also when like repeating stuff in like a mask, because sometimes you 
take a big deep breath and it's like we don't have that room so by the time we finished our coffee order it's quite a quite a gaspy um coffee order but I ask this question to every guest I don't give you notice beforehand when you think of someone famous who stammers who do you think of King George VI yeah that's very and I've been doing lots of research lately about other people who stammer so I'm going to chuck some names at you like with Elvis Presley he had a stammer I didn't and, know that actually yeah Winston Churchill had a stammer um I mean Marilyn Monroe her famous breathy tones are her techniques for her stammer that's a very again I didn't know that that's really interesting which I find fascinating I mean there are all these um it, it is extraordinary and it goes back to what you were saying earlier about how actually a, a speech impediment just like any other disability I mean everyone has something right yeah. everyone has something you know, it, it, it doesn't need to get in the way or, or stop you uh, living a completely normal, fulfilled life. But, it, you know, you, you have to, certainly in my own experience of this, you have to just kind of befriend the, the, the emotions and the stress and the sadness of that, the fear of that. For me, my st the, the, the worst effects of my stammer these days are, are nothing to do with the way I speak, you know? It's actually internal stuff. And yeah. that's what you have to, I think, learn to master. Yeah, and I think that's something that that's such a big thing actually is just knowing that actually it, it's more mind games than I think you actually realize. And I think the more you want to conquer something, and, and the more you know that you want to do it, you'll smash it. And I think the more you tell yourself that, the better it will be. And I think the less you will stammer, the more you say, I won't stammer. I will be fine. And, and the less you think about it, the more you'll be, you'll just smash it. And I think just own it and just be you. Don't hide this hidden person behind you because you're not showing your true self. So Jamie, it's been absolutely lovely talking to you. And I've got one last question for you. If you could give, give three pieces of... So Jamie, it's been absolutely lovely talking to you. And to round up this episode, I've got one last question. Could you give three pieces of advice to someone who stammers, but also three pieces of advice to someone who doesn't stammer? What would they be? So I guess the three pieces of advice I give to people who stammer, the first would be to, when you're able to do this and ready to do it, investigate what's at the root of your stammer without getting fixated on it you know treat it as a as a as an investigation somehow into into what's at the root of your stammer i think you know the uh, the unexamined life isn't worth living as it were you know you to, to really get into what's behind this um because even if you can't master it completely you, you know you will you'll live a more fulfilled life if you know your own mechanisms i think that's that's the first thing the second recommendation I would give to people is to learn how to breathe, learn how to breathe properly, um, partially because it's very good for relaxing and, and for de-stressing, but also because you understand speech much better if you know how to breathe. Um, and the third point would be simply to, to use support networks um, and to realise that it doesn't it, the, the, in many ways you will be 
your own worst critic and you will be thinking about it much more than anybody else. I think those would be the three pieces of advice I'd give to people who have a stammer. The three pieces of advice to give to people who don't have a stammer um, are firstly, be kind. Secondly, if you have a friend or a partner or a family member who has a stammer, ask them about it. And not just the mechanics, ask them how it feels. I think that's a really, really important thing. And the third piece of advice um, for non-stammerers, which we've touched on already, is don't finish sentences. <laughs> you know, the absolute, the, the sort of sheer rage that that can engender in somebody who's in the middle of trying their damnedest to say a word or to finish a sentence if someone sort of it's like being lapped when you're trying to come kind of running a relay thing you know um, yeah. don't finish those sentences <laughs> oh amazing Jeremy they, they are fantastic pieces of advice so thank you for sharing those and it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today Jamie so thank you so much for joining me on 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 on, on the Stammer Stories for podcast it's been a pleasure thank you Will it's a huge pleasure to meet you and congratulations on this brilliant series Thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners for listening to us to this episode today with Jamie. As I mentioned before, we've got some really exciting guests coming on, but also we, we they could even be our, be our first live event coming up very soon. So keep an eye out for that could be happening. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram where we post updating. Oh, I'm going to repeat that. That was rubbish. <coughs> And thank you so much to our listeners for joining us today and um, we've been listening to this episode with Jamie. As I've mentioned before, we've got some really exciting guests coming on, but also we, we even have a live event coming up with them in the near future. So keep an eye out for more details on that. And as I've mentioned before, I, I, I've done a TEDx called My Stammer Is My Superpower and that will be included in the, in the bio of this episode. But also the link to our Stammer Series V community, which is a Facebook group for people who's done it to talk to people um, who's done it all across the board, you could be talking from someone from the UK or someone from Zimbabwe. You never know who could be giving you advice. So make sure to sign up. But also make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, where we post exciting updates on facts, but also TikTok, where we do everyday situations and what it's like to have a stammer. So thank you for listening to this episode, and I'll see you next time in two weeks. Bye.